Good morning. It's great to be with you. I'm glad that you are here and you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Uh, We don't take that for granted, so thank you. Um, We are in this series called Overwhelmed but Overcoming. And um, this morning, our topic uh, that we get overwhelmed by is that of anxiety. Um, I've asked our Wellspring um, counselors to help me and give me resources, and so they provided me information that's helpful in trying to shape some of um, what I'll give you today and in the, in the weeks to come on different topics that we talk about. Anxiety is the most common uh, mental disorder in the United States, affecting 40 million adults. Some specific disorders would include general anxiety disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, PTSD, um, social anxiety disorder, agoraphobia of crowds and spaces. It's estimated that 31.9% of adolescents had an anxiety disorder. The second most common age group to have anxiety disorders is 30 to 44-year-olds. Women suffer more from it than men do, and social media has amplified anxiety. So we live in an anxious world, full of anxious people, including us. I'm not immune from it. I don't think that I have an anxiety disorder. Uh, I don't think I've ever been severely debilitated, but maybe minorly. I've had, uh, I've had to carry a lot of anxiety, and a lot, uh, a lot of times it comes in waves, so it's not always there. For me, what it looks like or feels like in in my kind of anxiety is that it takes the form of a lot of stress and long hours. I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep, or if I do sleep, I'm dreaming about work. And in my dream, in my semi-conscious state, I'm planning and making to-do lists that sometimes I get up and write down, sometimes I don't, and I think I'll remember in the morning and then I forget. And then I'm more stressed because I forgot what I thought was a good idea in the middle of the night. You probably have those kinds of dreams too. I worry about outcomes that I want to control for the church, for my children, for my retirement, for our community. I'm a planner. And well, my plans frequently don't turn out the way that I think they will. (laughs) And that causes more anxiety. You have anxiety too. Maybe very different from mine. It may be not as bad or much, much worse. What I'm proposing to you today, what we're going to talk about is that we all have anxiety and it can become overwhelming. And the good news that we want to talk about is that you can overcome it. So uh, we're going to do that in three ways today. We're going to consider what is natural, what is sinful, and then what is helpful and hopeful. So first, there's a slide for this, I believe, uh, give you three points, so hopefully you'll remember them. First thing is your capacity for anxiety is natural. Okay, let's, let's just establish this right off. This is why we say everybody has anxiety at some level, because anxiety at its core is simply this. It is your body's way of letting you know there's trouble, like, like an indicator light on your dashboard on your car that flashes and says, something's not right. There's trouble under the hood, right? So anxiety is simply saying to your body, there's trouble, and that might be, occur in all kinds of ways, an increased heart rate, you know, uh, different stress being hot or cold, whatever, lots of different things. Sleepless nights, um, you can't shut off your mind from the, the constant frenzied worry. Um, other things that make you and I uh, have anxiety that are part of the natural capacity is death, right? Death occurs. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way God designed it to be, right? But when death happens, then loss and grief fuels more worry, more anxiety, 
relationships are sources of anxiety because sometimes relationships suffer and break, whether it's divorce or children leaving home or friends moving away and all those changes that happen and produce that level of anxiety and worry about what's going to be next. Money produces anxiety. Do I have enough? Right? Um, Or will I lose what I do have? Security, safety, identity, those things all, money can shape us in those ways and those can all cause anxiety. So anxiety is part of our natural capacity. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Would you want to live your entire life with no anxiety? If I could just get rid of all anxiety, life would just be at peace. And before you say yes to that, I want you to consider something. Think about this. Um, if, if that happens, and then the opposite of that anxiety means, oh, good, now I no longer worry, i.e., I no longer care, or I'm indifferent to everything, is that really what you want? Not caring, not, not having empathy, not being empathetic toward anything, not being compassionate or understanding. Like, no, I just don't care. I don't have to worry about it. I have no anxiety. I'm, you're just numb. I don't think that's really what we want. I mean, if it is, we can, we can medicate ourselves to death to just try to kind of numb out in that way. But you, bec- you stop becoming caring and, and you become emotionally detached. And that's not healthy either. So instead of numbing ourselves, what we need to do is get to the source of the issue. And to do that, I think there's a couple things we need to consider. Um, and as I talk about these, you need to realize, like, I'm giving you one sermon on anxiety in 32 minutes or so, and that's not going to cover everything that has to do with anxiety. You're going to be like, what if? I'm, this is not the, the, the expert panel on everything that is here, okay? Um, I would say you need, to get, you need to get help when you have anxiety. But for what we're talking about today... Let's talk about the source of the issue and and how to try to resolve that. And let's look at some clues. The second point here is we're going to look at some clues that your anxiety is becoming sinful, right? So one source of the issue is that anxiety is natural. There's some just natural parts of it. When does it become so serious that it becomes sinful? That's a a hard one to to tackle. Let let me give you a couple of Bible verses um, here that, that... consider this. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 says, search me God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, right? It's not saying anxiety doesn't exist. They're there. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So see if any of that is, is, is wrong. And then in, and in, uh, in Matthew, it says, seek first, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, what Jesus had been talking about is saying, hey, do not worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat because trust God with those things and he will take care of you. So seek first his kingdom. God will provide for these things. And don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough troubles of itself. Worry about today. Right? So worry and anxiety are in the Bible and apparently it can become sinful because it's being addressed to say, see if there's some offensive way in me, see if I'm doing, handling this inappropriately. So what does lead to sinful anxiety? What's the difference between natural, being naturally anxious and sinfully anxious? I'm, I'm going to suggest a couple things. There might be more, um, but I'm going to suggest these. There's some obvious ones. 
some of the more obvious ways when we get overwhelmed with anxiety and then we turn to sin as an action. Say, for instance, I'm overwhelmed with anxiety, so I'm just going to get hammered drunk so I get numb and I don't have to deal with it. Well, the Bible tells us that doing that is giving up your self-control and is sinful, okay? Or to say, well, I'm really anxious about money and I don't have enough, so I'm coming up with a plan to steal it so I can get some more. Again, sinful action, right, that you're taking your anxiety and bending it in a sinful way. But less obvious ways might be being overwhelmed with the anxiety and then also forgetting or failing to trust God. Okay? So being overwhelmed is okay. We're going to feel that. That's part of being anxious. What you do with it matters. Right? You could go commit overt sinful acts that the Bible says are wrong. But, but even maybe not the obvious things, the less obvious, how do you trust God or fail to trust God in it? And that failing to trust God, that forgetting God, that turning away from God can also make it become a sinful kind of anxiousness. Imagine this scenario. It's life or death, right? It's a serious issue. Your child has a disease, diagnosed with a disease, and you don't want your child to die. You don't want your child to be ill. You don't want your child to suffer. You want your child to live a long and healthy and prosperous life. Is there anything wrong with that? No. For those desires? No, nothing wrong with that. Should you be worried or concerned? Yes, because that is what helps you to get treatment and try to figure out what's going on with the child and and address those issues. But what do you do with your concern? It might become sinful when you don't love your child well because of the worry and concern and you withdraw because you're afraid of what's going to happen and you emotionally detach. That would not be helpful to your child. And to be saying, I don't know what to do and I can't handle it. And so I'm just walking away from responsibility. I'm not loving well. Or when you say, yeah, you you, you can't cope and and you don't know what to do. When you, you don't learn to depend on God in that. You walk away from God in it. When you forget God and you become full of fear. And then bitterness begins to creep within. And I don't know why God would do this. And I'm not telling you I know why God's doing it either. But to allow that root of bitterness to creep up is going to then lead you into other ways that are not going to be helpful. They're not going to be hopeful. They're probably going to be sinful. The other way this kind of happens is the what ifs. I don't know if you've ever been through this or not. It's a game Michelle and I have played in the past. What if this? What if that? Right? And it's a game that anxious people play a lot. But but God, what if this happens? What if I get Alzheimer's like my parents have? Or what if I have heart disease like my parents have? Or what if I suffer a horrible injury or disease? Or what if I lose an eye and I can't see? Or what if that siren I hear is going to my house because I'm worried it caught on fire because my house caught on fire when I was a kid? The what-if game. Where there's really no control you have over those things, but they spin into your head and make your pulse rate quicken. What if another pandemic happens? Please, no, Lord. They're real worries you may have, but the challenge with the what-ifs is you cannot control them. And to let them then control you produces that anxiety that's overwhelming. What do you do with that then? What do you do with that? 
when you're asking the what ifs, I think you've got to refocus your trust in God. Yeah, what if that happens? Then God will meet you in it. One of my friends and a pastor in Stafford County lost his 23-year-old daughter in a car accident two weeks ago, and the funeral was this week. And it was amazing to listen to it. And um, one of the things about it was they said, look, we just have to realize we have no guarantee of tomorrow. That we like to think that what we have right now is the best life. This is so good. It's like, it's a shadow, it's dim. It's not even close to what is to come. She is now enjoying the best life. But that's hard for us, very hard. And when we ask those what ifs, what we have to do is what if? Well, then God is with her. She's with God. Those are not easy answers. Those are reminders, though, of what is true. Another kind of overreaction of being overwhelmed with anxiety might be for the approval of people. This is one of the areas in which I experience anxiety is the approval of, of others reveals my anxiety in different ways. When I was um, going through ordination exams to become a minister, I was questioned for a couple of hours on the floor. You take a series of seven exams that are written and a world before a committee, and then you go before the, the whole presbytery, and you get asked questions there. And so I was being questioned for a couple of hours on one particular issue, and, I, and, and a while in, I'm like, I don't know if they like me or not. I'm not sure if this is going to work. And I got very anxious because I was doing something I thought God was calling me to do. I had spent four years in grad school preparing for it. And so I was worried. And obviously I passed because that was 25 years ago. But this summer, I had to lead what's called a committee of commissioners at our general assembly. And so that meant I was appointed to be in charge of this one group for this agency, call their meeting together, organize it, and come up with recommendations to put to the whole General Assembly of over 2,000 people. And then I had to stand in front of all them and give that report. And that report, those motions, those recommendations can be debated, they can be voted up or down, so I may have to answer questions if I get questions. So I'm a little nervous. I'm walking to the stage, as my report is called, I'm about like... 15 feet away or something, and then they tell me to stop because somebody made a procedural motion on the floor on a different matter, which is fine. So I sit down in the chairs that are kind of out of the spotlight, not by the stage, but where I can see the TV monitors, and I look up, and there's 2,000 people. My heart just starts going. I'm like, oh, no, this is not good. I don't want to do this. And so I had to think about what was going on. I'm like, it revealed my anxiety. And when I was fearing being in front of people who I thought might judge me or think, man, what a poor choice to present this report. He's going to screw it up. And it went fine. But that was my anxiety over fears of what others think, judging me. And I had to realize, look, I've already been accepted. I'm here. And more importantly, God knows me and loves me. So who cares what they think? If I, don't, if I mess up the report, don't have me do it next time. Fine. We'll move on. Your anxious responses and my anxious responses can help you see clearly which nightmares and which dreams you have that you are using to organize your life around. And when they fail you, your life comes undone. They tell you what you believe that you can't do without, right? Those nightmares and those dreams. And if they go away, 
How do you go forward? Because that's what anxiety does. It worries about those. And in the middle of that, what we're supposed to do is find God and be met in that instead of letting it turn and become sinful where we become imprisoned by our worry and we turn away and forget God and fail to trust him. But how do we overcome? How do we overcome? How do we find calm for anxiety in the midst of the storm? Let's talk about overcoming your anxiety in helpful and hopeful ways. I get asked sometimes by people about, with anxiety, what about medication? Should I take medication for my anxiety? Now, let me just tell you right now, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not the one that should answer that question primarily for you, okay? But I'm going to give you some thoughts on it. Let's understand what medication does for anxiety. As best I understand it, the medication for anxiety will help alleviate those symptoms that you have and can make you feel better, right? But it does not deal with the underlying issues of how human beings in a frail, fallen, and broken world deal with the trouble that life brings, right? It doesn't do that. That's not what that medicine is designed to do. So my advice is this. Don't take medicine by itself expecting it to be the cure. Why do I say that? Because you will use it to take the edge off, but then not deal with those issues of how do I learn to deal with all of life's troubles that come my way? You still have to learn to do that. Medication can be helpful. It can really help. But it doesn't get to those root issues. So seeing a pastor or a Christian counselor is is vitally important because they will help you find hope. If I had to try to put it succinctly, which might be oversimplified, I will grant that. And maybe those who are the medical professionals can give me more insight on this later. But I would say this. Medicine can help you cope, but does not give you hope. So it's useful. It's helpful. It's good. It doesn't get to the underlying root issues in your life. It'll be the same if you self-medicate with alcohol or marijuana. Yeah, it might take the edge off. You're not getting to the root issue. You're not learning how to find hope when you're worried about what life will bring or when life has met you at the door with trouble. So let's talk about what's hopeful. I want you to look with me at Philippians 4, 6 and 7. We'll put these verses on the screen. Paul is writing here. um, And before I read these, you can leave them up there. Just just so you know, in chapter 2 of the same letter... Paul says um, that he's going to send Epaphroditus back to the people that sent Epaphroditus to take care of him while he's in jail. Because they sent Epaphroditus and he almost died. And Paul's like, thank you for sending him, but I'm sending him back because he almost died and it's made me anxious. And if he goes back to you, it will help me be less anxious. That's Paul saying that. Now he comes here and he says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay? So, what is he saying? He's saying, don't be anxious because there is promised peace. You will have peace that will guard your hearts and your minds. That's hope. 
That's what he's saying. He's saying, you have this peace in the midst of trouble that will guard your heart and your mind. That's what anxiety does. It hits your heart and your mind. And you're like, what am I going to do? What am I, I going to believe? What am I going to do? And my mind won't shut off. But Paul's saying there's a peace that can guard that. And the, the biblical opposite of anxiety is not indifference. The biblical opposite of anxiety is contentment. Learning to be content with what God has for us. Now, how do we know this? Because this is what Paul says in verse 13 of that same chapter. In Philippians 4, 12 and 13, he says this. I think we have slides for that. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He's writing from jail, by the way. I can do all things through him who gives me strength, he says in verse 13, which is the next, next part of that. Um, Paul learned the secret to handle anxiety, to get peace, and to be content was trusting in Christ. And so what I want to do for, with the few minutes that we have left is talk to you about a couple of ways um, that we can learn to be content that is more than being medicated or intoxicated. It's knowing God in the midst of troubles and having hope. And the first way to do that, how you do that, how you grab hold of that peace, how you take hold of that contentment is with mindfulness. I'm using mindfulness intentionally because it's kind of a popular thing to talk about, to be mindful. And, but it's not a new thing. Um, in fact, Paul talks about it in verse 8 of chapter 4. I think we put that slide in there too, right? James, you could put that up there. Philippians 4, 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, be mindful. <laughs> Think about such things. Set your mind on these things. So his solution is to focus. Focus your mind on what matters most. That is to say, instead of worrying about the what-ifs, Think about what is, who God is, the character of God and who he is and how he meets us about the truth of God, right? Because one of the things about anxiety is this, it's full of lies. It's full of what ifs, unknowns, and lies. It's not all based on lies. The fear is real. The worry is real. But it's full of lies like God is not good. God does not care. God is not in control. It's full of lies like this. You think when you're anxious and worried that everything's out of control. Oh no, what's going to happen? It's all out of control. It's going to go horribly wrong, which leads to your panic attack, your anxiety, right? The truth is this. It is not out of control. The scriptures tell us repeatedly that God is sovereignly in control of all things and Christ is not giving up his seat on the throne. The world is not out of control. It's out of your control. It is not out of God's control. The other lie you believe is that you should be in control. This is a, a lie from the pit of hell. If you and I were in control, it would go terribly, horribly wrong. Right? I mean, think about that. This is the movie, basically, that... What was that movie that Jim Carrey was in with, when he's playing God in the post? That one, thank you very much. Bruce Almighty, right? 
And he's like God, and he's like, oh man, what am I going to do? And the post-it notes are coming everywhere, and he can't even deal with it. Because we're not God. We're not omnipotent. We're not omnipresent. We're not omniscient. You don't know everything, you can't be everywhere, and you don't have the control over it. But God does. The what is matters. And God is, and he is in control. He is present. And what Paul tells us here is that he is with you to give you peace. Right before Philippians 4, 6, it says, the Lord is near, therefore don't be anxious about anything because he's near to you. He is with you. He's not leaving you. Contentment, then, is knowing that there is this stabilizing factor. A stability that comes from knowing that that the God, the all-powerful maker of heaven and earth, is present with you, knows your needs, is listening to your cries, and is powerfully guarding your soul for eternal life on a new earth. Right? That's the best life. Not here and now. Here and now, every part of life gets touched by brokenness and tragedy and sickness and illness. But then, then it will be glorious. A new heaven and new earth with no tears, no sorrow, no sin, no illness, no disease. It'll be paradise. That's what we need to long for. That's what it is. Having that frame to help meet you in the trouble and worries now is really important. In some ways to be mindful, this came from one of the resources that I read from David Powlison. When your anxiety is serious, he offers these practical advice, these practical steps. So I'm going to give these to you because I thought they were helpful. So one, write down everything you're worrying about. Just go ahead and make a list, put it on a piece of paper. It might take two pieces of paper, write it all down. Because what happens when you're anxious and you're worried is your mind is spinning and everything out of control and everything seems like it's never going to end and there's no stop to it. And making a list actually defines it and says, okay, that was the last thing on my list. It's finite. And then he says, imagine two circles, one six foot in diameter and one six inches in diameter. Okay, and this is the second thing to do. Look through your list, go all the way through your list, and put all the problems that you cannot solve into the larger circle. Problems like the what ifs. What if I'll get Alzheimer's? Larger circle, pro- circle problem. What if, how, how are my children going to turn out in 10 years? I'm really worried about that. Larger circle problem. And then pray, Lord, help me to trust you and take this worry off my list. Okay? So it's looking through your list and saying, all these things that are out there that I'm worried about, that aren't things I can change or do, those go in the big circle. Then in your little manageable circle, your six-inch circle, you're going to put the third step is to, to write down those things that go in there. And those are the things you can do today. What can I do right now to show that I trust and follow God? When Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow, what do I do today? Because that's what I can worry about. That's what I should do. And those might be things like, well, I'm really worried about my teenager for the future. Okay, but that you can't affect. Today you can. Pray for your teenager. Show love to your teenager today. If there's something you need to address, do it not in a nagging, critical, overbearing way, but do it showing grace 
with calmness so that you don't communicate that the whole world's out of control and you're anxiously worried over it. Right? Do it in a way that shows you love and care. And you do the things that are in your small circle. Right? God is not calling you to solve the problems that he is in control of in the big circle. He is calling you to take the small step of obedience and faith and love in the little circle and then leave the results to God. Now that's hard. That requires trust and faith. But that's what we're called to, Christians. We're not called to do nothing. We're not called to irresponsibility. We're called to do what God calls us to do, to obedience, walking one step at a time, doing the things we can do, and trusting God with the things outside of that. So being mindful in that, those practical suggestions that I think are very good may help you be mindful. The second thing, and this is the, the last point today in trying to be hopeful, is to pray. So right, in order to have hope, you do need to be mindful, focus on God and things. And the, the second thing is to pray. The antidote to anxiety is not simply being mindful, okay? That's good and that's helpful. But that's not all that God is after. God is after much bigger things, much more See, he's he's after you. Christianity is not merely a set of ideas about a way of life. It talks about that. Does it have ideas? Yes. Does it talk about a way of life and commands to follow? Yes. But that is not primarily what Christianity is about. Christianity is different from other religions because Christianity is primarily about a person. The person of God who wants a personal relationship with you. Because he made you. And he pursues you. God isn't simply giving you a technique but wants that relationship. He wants your troubles and your worries and your anxieties to drive you to him, into his arms, not away from him. Because he's the one that's in control of things. And God's peace then comes to you, that peace that Paul talks about that will guard your heart and mind, that peace comes to you then as your relationship with him becomes deeper and more honest, and intimate, and you pray, you talk to him. I I mean, think about this for a second. This is the most basic truth of life. You need God. From a Christian perspective, God made the world and everything in it, including you. Since you have been made by him, your most basic need is for him. And all of your life is spent chasing other things, trying to figure out how to do it on your own. And God's saying, I'm still here. You need me. And when you pray, what are you doing? You're saying, okay, God, I need you. You're doing the most basic thing, the most simple thing, but the most personal, intimate, saying, okay, let's talk. When you pray, you're asking for his help and his mercy, his comfort. Does praying ever make you fall asleep? Just be honest. It does me sometimes, right? In fact, you know, I used to sometimes feel guilty when at night I would be praying and then I'd fall asleep. And I'm like, oh man, I fell asleep while I was praying. And then I started thinking about that with this and I'm like, wait a second. If anxiety is what keeps me awake at night and prayer is what puts me to sleep, which one's giving me rest? I'm like, maybe this isn't all bad. Maybe I've been thinking about it all wrong, about all these things I've got to do. Philip Yancey wrote this. He said, I used to worry about falling asleep during prayer. Now as a parent, I understand. 
What parent wouldn't want her child to fall asleep in her arms? When you're praying to God, you're finding rest in him. Trust. That's where you can fall asleep. So in your anxiety, your heavenly father is saying, come on, put your head on my shoulder. Puts his arm around and says, it's going to be okay. I've got you covered. I'm going to give you two other scriptures that might be helpful for you to meditate on when you're anxious. So let's put 1 Peter 5, 7 on the screen. It happens. Anxiety is the real deal. What do you do with it? Give it to God because he cares. The other one, Psalm 94, 19. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Right? There is joy that you can have from anxiety. It doesn't all have to be worry. There's real hope that can be had. That's what we need to aim for, more than just coping, more than just dealing. We need hope. Professional Journal told the story of a young boy whose mother had died, leaving the husband alone with the child. The husband tried to comfort the child and answer the boy's questions, but the boy was distraught and tired. And as they went to bed and the boy was in the other room, he kept calling out from the other room to his dad, Daddy, where's mommy? He would answer, and then a little later, the boy would come with another question. Daddy, is mommy coming home? It's time he went and got the boy and brought him into bed with him. And in the darkness, lying there, the boy reached out to try to find his dad and touched his face. I said, Daddy, are you facing me? He said, yes, why? He said, because as long as you're facing me, I think I'll be all right. Christian, do you see what God has done for you in the midst of your darkness and anxiety? He says, I'm facing you. I have come to you. I have entered your world, taken on your suffering for you. And I'm with you. I'm facing you. That's what is. That's what's true. And that's what's hopeful. Let's remember that. Jesus, I pray that you will help us to realize that anxiety is natural, but it can also become sinful. Will you help us to be people of hope, knowing that you bring hope in it? Help us to be mindful and think about things that are noble and pure and true and lovely and admirable. Help us to think about you and who you are and help us to pray. Instead of trying to do everything we can to control it, help us to be people that pray. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.